You know, we're beginning a new series today called Behind the Scenes. Behind the Scenes. And we're taking a look at some of the big moments in Scripture. Now, I think, personally, every moment in Scripture is a big moment. Every moment in Scripture is a highlight. Uh, but we're going to look at the ones that everybody knows about that are, are extremely well-known. I mean, the most well-known one we looked at last week on Easter, Jesus dying and raising from the dead. We're going to look at some others, some that people would say are the, you know, the big highlights. But in those highlight moments, uh, we're going to take a look at what happened leading up to that. What were the behind the scenes that led to that very second that made those possible? It makes me think of, you know, the people we know of uh, in their lives, highlight moments, big moments. You know, we, we do this right now wherever we are in our current situation. Uh, we can put out posts on social media. We see other people's posts on social media, all that they're doing in quarantine or in se- shelter in place. And we think, man, I'm not doing nearly half as much as that. But we don't know the behind the scenes of all that it took to get that one picture posted out there online. You know, they don't know all it took to get the one picture that we post online. They don't know the behind the scenes. They just see what we put up. They just see the highlight reel that we put out there. Uh, Well, there's, it makes me think of a guy, a sports figure, uh, who is without a doubt, in my mind at least, the greatest basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan. You know, we can watch an hour of basketball. We look up, you know, a highlight reel on YouTube or whatever. We can watch uh, his uh, real, or we can maybe find a whole game, an hour's worth, a whole game of Michael Jordan playing ball. And you can see that. You can see how good of a shooter he was. You can see how good he was at reading the field and seeing the defense and seeing his guys on offense and who was in the right spot and feeding them the ball and knowing when not to give them the ball but when to take the shot himself. Now, we can see all of that, but we don't see everything that led up to that moment. There was this one interview that I always remember that he gave, and the reporter asked him how he got so good. How he got to that elite level of being able to play. And he said he can remember growing up, and even at that point being the best of the best, that he would always picture in his mind when his practice was over and it was time to go hit the showers and, and be done, that he, could, he would always picture someone else, some other kid, somebody else somewhere, spending 15 more minutes in free throws, 15 more minutes running drills, uh, 15 more minutes practicing ball handling 15 more minutes uh, uh, shooting three-pointers and he would use that thought as motivation to spend one more hour practicing so that in his dedication he invested the time to try to spend more time practicing than anybody else ever and that led him to where he was to be as good as he was You see, we don't see all of the hours, all of the days, all of the weeks, all of the years he invested in in practicing. All that we were able to see when he played, obviously he doesn't do that anymore, but when he did play, all we were able to see was that one hour, you know, slot of him playing. We didn't see the behind the scenes of all that it took to get there. And we're going to look at something similar to that today in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to see a snapshot of one guy's life that quite possibly, and most likely, he is most well known for. See, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, you have ancient Israel, kingdom, 
under their very first king, King Saul. He's the very first king. He's kind of galvanized the, the, the nation, uh, and they're under him, and they're excited about where they're going as a nation. Well, this enemy nation, nearby nation, neighbor, invades their country and sets up camp across the border. They come into Israel. This is the nation of the Philistines. They come into Israel, and they set up camp, and they have their army lined up there, and then Israel comes to, to line up across from them and match where they're at. And so you've got the Philistine army facing off against the Israelite army on Israel's property, on, Israel, on Israel's land. But this wasn't going to be a normal battle where the Philistines send the troops in, the Israelites send the troops in. This is going to be what's called a, a champion battle, a battle of champions. The Philistines were going to pick one guy who was going to be their champion to go out and fight against one guy from Israel who was going to be their champion. Well, the thing was, the Philistines picked a guy named Goliath. Now, we all heard that name, Goliath. It's become synonymous with something big and, and undefeatable. Well, Goliath was an actual guy, and he was huge. He was, from what we can tell from history and from Scripture, he was literally twice as tall and big as anybody in Israel from that day and time. So picture how tall you are right now, and then picture somebody who's twice that height who's twice as big as you are. But Goliath was fast. Goliath was a fighter. He was, he was trained his entire life to fight. This was his job, was being a soldier, was fighting, and he was good at it. He, he had a massive reputation all around that area of the world as, as a deadly soldier. And so Goliath steps out from the Philistine army, and all the Israelites see him. They know his reputation. They know who he is. And they're filled with fear when his voice rings out across the battlefield. Listen to what he says. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 8. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Look at what they did. Jump down to verse 24. He said, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. They fled from him and were much afraid. They heard what he said. They were filled with fear, and they ran from him, scared out of their mind at what he's saying. I mean, he's, he's ridiculing the nation. He's ridiculing their king, and he's ridiculing their God, and yet they run and hide because they were filled with fear. Look at there in verse 11 what it says. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. That word, Dismayed literally means to be shattered, to be filled with terror, consumed with it, filled to the brim, and it came out in their actions by them fleeing in fear. They were filled with terror. These, these are the people of God, and they're filled with terror instead of confidence and faith. You see, the thing is, people, you, me, people are always filled with something, always filled with something. Something consumes us, something 
fills us always. It can be anxiety. It can be fear. It can even be right now in this period, in this day and time, thoughts about a virus and how it's running rampant. And it comes out in, in all of the information we're consuming and the things we watch and the stuff we, we see on social media. And it's all over everything we see. And it, 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 it overtakes us. It fills us up in every capacity. You know, we can also be filled up with trying to uh, uh, control a situation, with a desire to control a situation, with a, des- with a desire to, you know, strategize how to control the situation, maybe about the current situation we're in, you know, thinking if I was in that position, I would do X, Y, and Z. I would do it so much better than so-and-so. I would respond so much better than so-and-so. I would make the different decision, and it would be better even though we're making decisions based upon the highlights that we see and not based upon the behind the scenes. That's what we're talking about here, right? Uh, and we see this, and it consumes us. It fills us up. And it results in, honestly, decisions that may not best honor God because filling dictates decisions. Filling dictates decisions what we are filled with comes out in the decisions that we make in the words that we say in the thoughts that we think in the actions that we take what we are filled with comes out in our decisions because my mindset conforms to whatever i have filled myself with whatever i filled myself up with it 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 it, it manipulates my thinking be it negative thoughts or Irritations. Maybe I'm irritable. Maybe you're finding that being confined in a you know in a in a space, being quarantined in place or shelter in place with whoever you're with, you become more irritable with those people than you normally would be, uh, than you normally are, uh, and so you're filled with it, and that comes out in the decisions you make. Or maybe, maybe the decisions you make because you're filled with certain negative thoughts, or what I call an anti-attitude, anti-attitude. You see. If I make a negative assumption about an individual or about a situation, then whenever that person or situation comes up to me, I have a predetermined opposition to it. Say, for instance, you know, you want to you, you have planned to do tomorrow whatever you want to do and another situation comes along that you have to go and take care of but you're already walking into it knowing you don't want to do that thing and so that determines how you're going to engage with that situation or maybe it's an individual maybe somebody wronged you in some way sometime in the past or did something that you made an assumption about what they did and so every time you see them you're instantly filtering your interaction with them through those negative thoughts and so you have an anti-attitude about that person or an anti-attitude about that situation. And so you, you're walking into it with predetermined opposition to, to this thing you're, you're encountering here. But there's a better way. There's something better that we can fill ourselves with. Look at verse 45 of 1 Samuel chapter 17. You see, David, before we get there, comes on the, situ- comes on the scene. You see, the army out there, the, the Israelite army, they were, had drawn up their battle lines, uh, and the government did not 
pay their soldiers, did not provide food for their soldiers. They relied on the families back home to send food to the front lines. And so it was David's job as the youngest in his family to send food, to, 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 send food, to, to take the food from his father to the front lines to his brothers who were serving in the army. Well, one day David did that, and he heard Goliath come out, make his uh, you know, statements, decrying the nation of Israel and Saul and God. And David is all up in arms. Now, David is a young man. He's, he's 12, 13, 14. He's somewhere in the young teens. Uh, so let's say 13. And he hears this, and, and, and he's just uh, disgusted that all these other people, all these other men who are supposed to be brave, that he's supposed to have looked up to, are running scared at Goliath who's saying these statements, and he's walking around saying, God's going to take care of this guy. How come nobody's stepping up to do this, to, to step out there and show this guy what it means to be a follower of God? And he's just looking around, nobody's saying anything. Well, word gets back to King Saul that there's this kid out here saying this stuff, and so he calls David in, King Saul does, and David, 13-year-old David, walks in there and uh, says, I hear you want to go out, you know, you're saying this stuff about Goliath. And David says, yeah, I am. I'll go out there, and I will fight him. And, and Saul says, okay, right, all right, Mr. 13-year-old David, you're going to go out there and you're going to fight, you know, massive, well-trained, well-equipped Goliath. He says, okay, that doesn't make any sense. And David says, no big deal. You know, I fight lions and bears who come out and fight, the sh- you know, try to steal the sheep and kill the sheep that I'm protecting as a shepherd, and I'll grab those lions and bears by the, the, the hair on their face, and I will beat them to death. That's what it says in Scripture. Saul says, well, that's all well and good, but... You know, Goliath, he's been training, you know, for decades over here. He is really good at what he does, and he's not a lion or a bear. He's got a sword and a spear in his hand, not just claws, uh, and you're going to go, and you're going to take care of that. And David says, well, it's not me who's going to take care of it. It's God who's going to take care of it. Well, Saul relents and says, okay, you go and you do this. Saul just lets David go. And so David walks out onto the battlefield. He's got a slingshot. He's got a rock. And he walks out onto the battlefield. Now, I picture David walking through the lines of soldiers. And they're all turning to him, and they're looking at him as he's walking out there. I picture him walking out onto the battlefield, and his brother seeing him starting to run out there and try to grab, say, whoa, 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 David, back up here, back up, back up, back up, back up. You don't want to go out there. You know, Goliath's out there. We don't, we, we don't want to tell, you know, mom and dad that you walked out there, and we let you walk out there. But David got to the battlefield. The army's behind him. His brothers are behind him. And David walks up to where the giant can hear him. And David shouts these words, verse 45. David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. So David shouts back to Goliath, it's not me who's going to win with a sword and a spear, it's God who's going to win. God's going to take care of this business, big old mean giant. God's got this handled. And so look what he does, verse 48. The Philistine arose and came and drew near to David. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David ran towards Goliath. 
And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Now, that's a story we've all heard. David wins. David defeats Goliath. And it's always painted as an underdog story. You got little David, you got big Goliath, you got David with a slingshot, you got Goliath armed to the teeth with a sword and a spear and a guy holding his shield because the shield's so big that Goliath doesn't hold it himself. And David runs up to him, throws a rock, and kills Goliath. And you hear that, you're like, man, that is an underdog story, but not really. Not really. David was better equipped before he ever stepped foot onto the battlefield. But what got him there? What got him to that point? What quality did David possess that no man of age in the entire nation of Israel possessed? What did David have that nobody or what did David have that nobody else did? Well, that's what we're going to look at. That's the behind the scenes. So jump back one chapter. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, it begins uh, with God having rejected King Saul as his king. Saul did some things that led the nation away from God, that led them away from God. And God told Saul, you're not going to be my king for very much longer. He says, I'm going to go out and I'm going to find a guy who is a man after my own heart, and he's going to be king. Well, Samuel, the one who this book is named after, 1 Samuel, uh, he was God's prophet. He had actually taken oil, and he had been the one to anoint Saul as king. And so when God rejects Saul as king, Samuel takes it personally, like, like he did something wrong. But God's going to tell him, you didn't do anything wrong, Samuel. Saul did. So look at 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. So God says, I want you to go to Bethlehem. And I want you to find Jesse. And one of Jesse's sons is going to be king. And so Samuel hears this and, and, and from God. And he says, okay, God, if word gets out that I'm going to anoint a new king, Saul's going to put a hit out on me and I won't survive the day. And God says, okay, here's what you do. I want you to take an animal, and you're going to go and have a sacrifice. You're going to have a worship service. You're going to invite the people, the, the Jesse and his sons, and, and, and nobody's going to question why you're there. And so uh, look at what it says in verse, uh, God continues to speak, verse 3. He says, invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me whom I declare to you. So God tells Samuel, you go, you bring Jesse, you bring his sons, and one, I'll tell you which one of his sons is going to be king. So, verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves who come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now, I want to focus for a minute on that word, consecrate. You see... Samuel shows up, and he tells the elders, the guys in charge of the city, 
you guys consecrate yourselves, and then he invites Jesse and Jesse's sons to the sacrifice, and then Samuel's the one who consecrates them. Well, that word consecrate means to spiritually prepare for something special, something holy, to spiritually prepare for it. So he has the elders prepare themselves spiritually for this holy moment that they're going to experience. They're going to witness God move, God do something powerful. And then Samuel takes it upon himself, and he's the one who prepares Jesse and his sons, gets them ready for this worship service, for this moment, for this thing they're about to witness God do. Now, they thought the encounter was going to be about one thing when, in truth, the encounter was about something completely different. They still had to prepare themselves. And the spiritual preparation is interesting. It's powerful. Because spiritual preparation is about emptying yourself to be filled by something greater. So emptying ourselves of one thing so that we can be filled by something greater. You see, Jesse and his sons and the elders, they all had to be emptied uh, of whatever they had within them with uh, the thoughts of the day, with the busyness of the day, with the distractions they had going on, with whatever uh, you know preconceived assumptions they have because Samuel was coming in the moment. They had to empty themselves of that so they could focus on God moving and God speaking to them there through the worship service. So he spiritually prepares Jesse and his sons. He has the elders prepare themselves for this worshipful experience. And they gather the elders, Jesse, his sons, and Samuel. They're gathered together to have this worshipful moment. And they come uh, before him, and he's going to choose one of Samuel's, uh, uh, Jesse's sons, to be the king. Verse 6. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. He sees Eliab. He's a man. This guy looks like a king. I mean, he's a big dude. He looks great. He's got to be the king. Verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So he says, Don't look at him and think great things. It's not about what he looks like. It's not about what he's dressed like. It's not about what his presence is. It's about something deeper. It's about his heart. It's about something that only God can determine. And so God tells Samuel, stop looking at him that way and just listen to what I'm telling you to do. Verse 8, Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? Now, I love this. You see, because Samuel, or Jesse says, There yet remains the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So God told Samuel, Go to Bethlehem, pick one of Jesse's sons, who will be king. I will tell you which one you're going to pick. So he goes there. He says, Jesse, bring all your sons. We're going to have a worship service. He gets there. He says, I'm going to pick a king. And so they all come before him. Jesse brings the seven sons before him, and God says no to every single one. And now what I find interesting here is that Samuel does not assume God is wrong. God told him to go. God told him one of Jesse's sons was going to be king. Samuel says, Jesse, bring all your sons. Jesse shows up with a bunch of sons. Samuel assumes it's all the sons. So when all the sons pass in front of him and God says, no, 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 Samuel doesn't 
say, well, God must have been wrong. God, you know, seven signs. Jesse came, brought a sign, just none of the signs. So God, what are you saying to me? Something, I'm, there must be something lost in translation. You know, you see what Samuel does, he didn't assume God was wrong. He assumed something was wrong with Jesse. He assumed Jesse was not totally being honest with him. And in fact, he wasn't. Jesse says, there's still one son that I didn't think to bring. I didn't think he was worth bringing to. He's just the youngest son. He's, you know, he's 13. He's out there in the field. I don't, he doesn't need to be here. You know, he's, he's doing his chores. Just he's one of these sons. They're better. And so Jesse had this thinking about his sons. But, they, but God had something greater in mind. And so they send for David out in the field, and they bring him in. Verse 12. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. So David gets anointed. And the Spirit of God, it says, rushes on him from that day forward. And it's with that that David walks onto the battlefield with the Spirit of God. You see, David defeated Goliath because he was filled with the Spirit of God. David was filled with the Spirit of God because he had already emptied himself. Remember, consecration means being prepared, means emptying yourself of one thing to be filled with something greater. He would already emptied himself. We empty ourselves for the Spirit's filling through Scripture, through prayer, through praise. You know, David didn't become great David on the battlefield with Goliath. David became great David out in the field with praise. You know, he wrote nearly half of the Psalms. He wrote 73 of the 150 Psalms. It's one of the things he's known for. He's known for defeating Goliath, and he's known for writing psalms and being king over Israel. He wrote all of these psalms, these psalms of great praise that some, many times began with great discouragement. And as he praised God through the psalm, you see it trans transitions from discouragement to uh, uh, strength because he's praising God throughout the moment. Praise changes us. David did not defeat Goliath because of his skill with a slingshot. David defeated Goliath because he had been prepared with praise. And praise anchored his spirit in faith. He did not doubt for one second that God was going to deliver. He did not doubt for one second that God was going to bring victory. He had faith throughout the entire moment. He communicated that through every interaction that he had. David was not worried. He was not anxious. Even though he never fought in a battle, even though he had not been through basic training, he, had not, uh, 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 he was not worried about any of that because he was already prepared. He came in from the field prepared. He was ready to encounter whatever he was going to encounter because he was faithfully prepared with praise. Because praise is spiritual realignment. Praise realigns us. It takes our discouragement. It takes what we have been filled with and realigns it and conforms it to God's purposes, to something that is special, to something that is holy. Praise realigns us. And David was realigned and ready. He was walking around prepared for this moment. 
And speaking of this moment, I want to point something out. Point something out that I had never seen until I was preparing for this message a few weeks ago. David did not have a moment of consecration. Look back. When Samuel came into town, he told the elders, go consecrate yourselves. Spiritually prepare uh, for this special thing, for this holy moment. Go spiritually prepare. Consecrate yourselves. So he told the elders to consecrate themselves. And then Samuel told uh, Jesse and his sons, I will consecrate you. Samuel didn't consecrate himself in that moment because he was already, he was walking around, he was already spiritually prepared, walking around spiritually prepared because he was, you know, emptied himself and now he was filling himself with the Spirit. He was constantly doing this. And so he was spiritually prepared for the moment. But the elders needed to, to prepare themselves. Jesse and his sons needed to prepare themselves. So they had to be consecrated. But when David walked into the tent, walked into the sacrifice, walked into the worship service, to experience what he experienced, to be anointed, to, to have the Spirit of God rush upon him. David did not have a moment of consecration like everybody else did. Because he, I'm going to suggest to you and show you how in just a minute, he was already consecrated. He was already spiritually prepared. He came in from the field prepared. Because he had already fashioned his heart after God's and God already told us this. He he David is is a spiritually prepared man after God's own heart, which God said in 1 Samuel 13 verse 14. God had already said that he has found a man after his own heart. God has already found David. David is already a man after God's own heart. So as a man after God's own heart, he is already filling himself with God's uh, uh, presence and, and, and the things of God and things that are holy because he has already emptied himself of everything else. So he's filling himself with the things of God. And because he's filling himself with the things of God, he can walk into that worshipful moment, that, that sacrifice, that moment of anointing. He can walk in there already consecrated because he's walking around consecrated. He's walking around prepared. David walked up consecrated because he had already developed a habit. He's already developed a discipline of emptying himself so that God can do the filling. And how does David do this? How, how can you develop the life of constant preparation so that no matter what situation presents itself to you or how big a literal Goliath stands against you, comes against you, you can still charge onto the battlefield in the same way David did to meet the challenge head on. How can you do that? Well, a little bit at a time. You can't just all of a sudden, you know, be... A powerhouse, it takes a little bit at a time. It takes strengthening. It takes spiritual training, not physical training, spiritual training to be able to engage with a spiritual enemy. We need to be communicating with God for His help at emptying ourselves and His help in doing the filling. We need to be communicating with God, asking Him to help us. And what is communication with God? It's prayer. And the thing about prayer is, prayer isn't simply listing off in three seconds what our list is, our mental list that we have, just popping it out, boom, 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 that God fix those things, and we move on. Prayer is communication. Communication is a conversation. It's back and forth. It's us speaking and God speaking. It's both. It's not a monologue. It's not a dialogue. It's, it's a conversation with God, communicating with God. And it's through that communication that He begins to empty us so that he can then fill us. And we can experience the great moments. Like David, 
would have never defeated Goliath if he had not been filled with the Spirit. He never would have been filled with the Spirit if he didn't walk in already consecrated, if he did not already have a heart after God's. And he had a heart after God's because he was filled with the things of God. So emptying ourselves, being filled with the things of God will bring us to a point of not just having a highlight moment, but having a highlight life if we're filling ourselves with the things of God and emptying ourselves of everything else. There's a man who spoke about this, a spiritual discipline guru, you could say. He, he, he spoke about how to listen to God, being emptied of everything else and being filled with the things of God. His name's Richard Foster. I'm going to read the quote. You're going to see it here on the bottom of the screen. This is what he said. Often, People pray and pray with all the faith in the world, but nothing happens. Naturally, they are not tuned in to God. We begin praying for others by first quieting our fleshly activity and listening to the silent thunder of the Lord of hosts, attuning ourselves to divine breathings is spiritual work. Now, listen to that that, that last sentence. blows my mind every time I read it. Attuning ourselves to divine breathings is spiritual work, is powerful work, is is work, is sweat-inducing spiritual work. Attuning ourselves to the divine breathings. So what is he saying? He's saying, listen to God. Listen to God. You see, because consecration, spiritual preparation, spiritual preparation is about focused listening. Spiritual preparation is all about focused listening. Listening to God. So here's the challenge. You're going to find it incredibly difficult. It may not sound difficult on the front end, but I promise you, if you've never done this, you will find it very, very hard. Or maybe you're a spiritual giant. You're way better than anybody I've ever encountered. And, and your first you know, hand at this, you'll be a master. But try it and see how difficult it is. Next time you spend time with God and reading Scripture, praying, Spend the first 30 seconds, all right? First 30 seconds just listening. Trying to empty yourself except for thoughts, except for listening to what God is saying. Try to remove everything else and just listen to what God is saying. Listen. I tell you what's going to happen is you're going to start thinking about everything else you got to do that day, about what you, you know, just experienced waking up by about thinking about how you just checked your phone before you got up to do what you were going to do and spend time with the Lord and, and pray about, you're going to think, you're going to begin to think about, this is what will happen to me is I think about emptying my mind so that I can empty my mind. And I start thinking about how I need, oh, I need to get that out of my mind to get that out of my mind, get that out of my mind. All of a sudden the time is gone and I've already spent all the time thinking about something else instead of thinking about what God is trying to say to me. But Do it, try it, and you won't hit it the first time or the second time, but you'll get better over time. And once you hit 30 seconds, up it the next time, 45 seconds. The next time, 60 seconds. Then two minutes. Before long, you will find yourself with great spiritual strength, able to listen to the voice of God as a lifestyle, emptying yourself of everything else so that you can be filled with the Spirit of God and the things of God on a constant basis, being able to have defeating Goliath moments every single day, 
Every day becomes a highlight. You start defeating Goliath every day because you're walking around spiritually prepared constantly just as David was. You're constantly spiritually prepared for whatever comes at you, whatever life throws at you, whatever Satan brings to you, whatever the enemy, his lackeys bring to you, whatever you face, whatever you anticipate from, from the news conference that's going to be later on today about whatever you know, new news about the virus hits, you're going to be spiritually prepared for it because you will be filling yourself with the things of God, with the Spirit of God, with the power of God. Emptying yourself of everything else, filling yourself with Him, and allowing the, the, the life that you have to be elevated to the whole nother level. You see, the thing, too, about listening to God is that God is already listening to you. We've been going through the book of Revelation. Uh, we've been putting it out. You can check it out. It's on our website. We're almost through the entire book. We started early on in the year. Uh, but what we've seen in the book of Revelation is that in God's presence, in His throne room, Something he treasures are the prayers of his people. He keeps them constantly in his presence. God is listening to you always. He's always with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will never walk away from you. He's always with you, always listening to you. Will you listen to him? Maybe right now he's speaking to you. Maybe, he, maybe you've, been, you've been tuning in, you've been watching this past couple weeks, and he's already been speaking to you. He's been, you, you felt him speak to you the last couple weeks, but you've been resistant. You said, no, no, that's not God. No, no. And you tried to, you know, uh, uh, got distracted and, and bring other things in your mind and tra- change the, the subject in your mind so you don't have to hear what he's saying. But he's saying, you need to make a decision right now. Maybe he's speaking to you, and you need to believe in him right now for the very first time. You need to believe in Jesus that Jesus is God's son, that he died so all your sins would be forgiven, and then he rose from the dead so that you can live after you die. And you need to make that decision right this very second. And if you need to believe in that, if you are ready to believe in that, put it in the chat, give, give a hand raise. Let's see it. Click that button below me that says, I made a decision. Click that link below me, wherever you're watching this. And make that decision. Tell us about that decision so we can celebrate with you, so we can praise God for you. God can do much. Will you listen to him right now? Maybe you've known God for a while, not just known him in your head, but known him in your heart, and and you've believed in Jesus, but you've never really listened. Dedicated time listening to him. Maybe you have in the past, but you haven't lately. It's time. Now, will you listen to him now, what he's saying to you, because he has put you here, he's put me here, he's put all of us here in the situation we're in, allowed it to take place, and with us ex- existing on this, uh, uh, in this point in history for such a time as this, will we listen to his instruction and his guidance so that we can not only live an abundant life, but we can have the greatest impact in the world for him right now? Will you listen to him? and believe in Him for the first time, and follow Him right now. Will you listen to Jesus today? 